Again, welcome this morning to New Life Church, and so thankful for, for you all, so thankful for your faces, your families, your relationships. It's good to see each and every one. Good to see all of you watching and participating with us today online. So good to have you guys with us. Listen, I have, um, we, are, we are continuing in the spirit of renewal, even though that particular series, sermon series, has ended, but the theme of that, the anthem of that, the spirit of that is just continuing to uh, challenge us and compel us to keep pursuing the Lord in a, in a passionate way. And so we're, we're stepping into something today that uh, we're looking at renewal in our relationships. And I've asked one of our lay elders uh, to bring the word today. Uh, Brandon Bailey is going to be speaking today and bringing the word of the Lord. And Brandon, uh, the good news about Brandon is uh, that we get to gain from and benefit from is on his uh, expertise side and professional side that um, that he is going to be bringing to the pulpit today. And Brandon is a licensed clinical social worker who works as a therapist, uh, and he works with individuals and couples to help them improve in their relationships and in their mental health. And in one particular area of the relational aspect that Brandon's going to bring the Word of God to today, because we can all not only need the challenge, but we also need the grace and we need the guidance from the Word of the Lord to help us navigate this tricky thing that we were all made for, all designed for, called relationships. And may the spirit of renewal be upon it today in Jesus' name. Brandon. Thank you, Pastor. Well, I have to say, good morning, church, first of all. Thankful to be up here with you all. I have to say, though, my most important qualification is 17 years, almost 17 years of marriage with my beautiful, wonderful wife. She's taught me a whole lot about life and love. Thank you. Some of the most valuable lessons have come from my own marriage. But it's a privilege to be in a church, first of all, that cares about relationships, that cares about families, and it's a privilege to be able to incorporate uh, a passion that I have to help uh, marriages and relationships and be able to bring it in with my passion for, for God and, and to combine those two things. So, I'm excited about the message today. Now, I want to say something, uh, a little disclaimer here. If you're not married or not even in a relationship, try not to tune me out, right? Because I, I believe that now, first of all, someday you may be married, but second of all, even if you're not, we all have relationships. And so hopefully what I'm going to share today is going to be helpful, that it could be applied not just to marriage, but in other relationships as well. So stay with me, all right? Okay. So, hey, what is a relationship anyway? I like to start with those simple questions. <clears throat> what is a relationship? Uh, essentially, it, it's really the space between two people, right? It's what happens between two people, the interactions and the emotions that are there, the way this person makes me feel, right? And you can think back to dating and things like that, the way they made you feel, 
did they make you feel, does, or in any relationship, does this person make me feel uh, accepted, supported, valued, or not? So the re, a re, definition of a relationship is really what happens between us. Now, it, like Jeremy said, we are made for relationship. God said in the Garden of Eden, it's not good for man to be alone. And then that's where it all started. And Adam, he, God brought Adam all the different animals that had been created, and he checked them all out. He's like, no, not that one. No, an ox, no. Looked at all these different things. Couldn't find a suitable helper, and then God put him to sleep. We know the story. He formed Eve from his rib, and uh, it says she was just right for him. If you're here today with your spouse, look at him and say, you're just right for me. I don't know why preachers do that sort of thing, but I thought I'd do it today. It's just fun. So we are made for relationships. And it turns out relationships actually have a big impact on our happiness and even on your health. So get this. They, studies have shown that people who are happily married actually have stronger immune systems than those who are unhappily married. People who are happily married live four to eight years longer on average than those who are unhappily married, and they have fewer strokes and heart attacks. I love this one. Guys, take note of this. Men who kiss their wives goodbye as they leave for work live an average of five years longer than those who don't. So, guys, you better start kissing your wife. So it actually has such a big impact on us because we were made for relationship. Now, hey, if you're single, don't, be, don't worry, right? There's still benefits from having a close friend, from having family relationships, okay? You're all right. You're going to make it. But we're talking about marriage today specifically. So, so let's talk about this. So, we, you know, relationships, we all tend to start off well, right? Dating, uh, courting. It's a good time. It's, it's fun. It's, it's casual. Uh, we have lots of ooey-gooey feelings. And, you know, everything's, like, easy for the most part, right? And, you know, people get married, and that honeymoon stage continues, and it's like still, it's like, man, we're on cloud nine, and, and, and things are going well, right? And Deuteronomy actually talks about how important the, the start of this relationship, this marriage relationship is, where it says in 24, chapter 24, verse 5, Deuteronomy says, a newly married man must not be drafted into the army or be given any other official responsibilities. He must be free to spend one year at home bringing happiness to the wife he has married. Why don't we still do that today? How sweet would that be? Year-long honeymoon. See ya. Be back in a year. I get like leave for that or something from my job. What a sweet law. I'm, we're going to, everybody write your congressman. We need to bring this back. But that's how important marriage is to God's heart is that he, he even made a law that, hey, we need, to, we need to get this thing started off right. All right. But then later, as things go on, things tend to get complicated, right? We have jobs, we have babies, we have responsibilities out the wazoo, 
we are busy folks, and, and things start to break down sometimes, right? We have more conflict. Uh, maybe we have a little more distance. Maybe after a while, we feel like we're really more like two roommates sharing a space, and hopefully, you know, your roommate knows how to put the toilet paper on the right way. It doesn't go behind the row. It goes over the row, people. But things can get distant between a couple, right? And it's all of a sudden, it's not easy anymore. What happened? We have to work at this thing. But that's really the truth, is that relationships do get tricky. Anytime you're going to combine two personalities into a space, do life together, I mean, there's two brains going, two different ways of seeing things. There's going to be some ups and downs. Hold on. It's okay. And sometimes I have to do that with couples. Like you get a, a younger couple come in, and they're having problems, and they're freaking out because they think it's supposed to be easy, and I have, it's okay. It's going to happen. But how do we navigate that well? That's really the focus today. So God's intent for your marriage is to be life-giving, not life-draining. How do we get there? Well, what I'm going to share today is two things that I think are very foundational to that. First of all, it's having a shared meaning between the two of you. And then second of all, managing conflict well. So let's talk about these things. Let's start at the beginning. Let's go back to Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 1. And I'm going to read through a fairly long passage, and uh, we're going to be pulling from that as we go. So follow along with me in your Bibles if you have them. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27 uh, to 28. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish of the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. Now we're going to fast forward to Genesis chapter 3, and we see the fall. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, Did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of, and Eve replies, of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die. That's how I hear him saying that. Come on. The serpent replied to the woman, God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it. And you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful. She saw its fruit looked delicious. She's like, that looks good. And she wanted the wisdom that it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. And there we go. That's the fall. So let's back up. Let's talk about this. We're going to talk about shared meaning first. In Genesis 1, we see that God gave Adam and Eve a clear purpose. He didn't just set them in the garden and say, hey, enjoy enjoy the scenery. It's beautiful. Hang out. Put up a hammock across here and just chill. 
I mean, he could have. He could have had all the angels doing all the work, taking care of things. But God knows that a purposeful life is a fulfilling one, that it brings meaning. He knew that they would need a shared meaning. And so he gave them three tasks. Did you catch what those were? Number one, he says in a few different ways, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Task number one. Number two, govern it. That means the people. Govern the, the people that, that come from that. And then number three, he says reign over it, talking about the animals, the wildlife. All right? So those were three tasks. Be fruitful and multiply. Govern it. Reign over it. They had a clear purpose. Now, you can imagine the type of relationship they would have to have to fulfill God's purpose. It would really need to be one where they had unity where they were focused on a shared meaning, on a shared purpose. But Adam and Eve lost sight of that purpose. They lost sight of the meaning and the task, the responsibility that God had given them. If they had remembered that God had said, reign over all the animals of the earth, then when the serpent had come to Eve, she would have been, been able to say, get behind me, because she would have known and remembered her place and her role of authority over the serpent to say, you can't tell me nothing. But instead, she let him influence her. She drank the Kool-Aid. Actually, she ate the fruit, but you, you follow me. So she forgot the role and the shared meaning that God had given her. The serpent said, the serpent told her that if she ate of the fruit, that she would be like God. In essence, he was saying, who God created you to be is not enough. And he sowed a seed of discontentment in her heart. So couples who lose sight of the shared meaning are more likely to fall into temptation. And we're more likely to listen more to who the world says we should be instead of remembering who God said you are. Amen? And this happens, these seeds of discontentment, these doubts that the enemy still whispers today, happens in very subtle ways. Maybe you're trucking along in your relationship and things aren't going the way you thought they would be and you start to have this thought that I could have done better. Or so-and-so over there, they're happy. Or maybe you're driving home one day and your wife says, shouldn't you have turned left there? And Simple comment, but in your head you feel like she doesn't respect me. And so you answer with defensiveness and anger and frustration when really it was a simple question. So these seeds of doubt can easily come in and take hold if we lose sight of a shared meaning that God has given you as an individual and as a relationship, as a couple. So having a shared meaning is a lot like a GPS. Anybody use a GPS to get places? Hopefully you didn't have to use it to get here this morning, um, unless you're new here. Um, but it keeps us on track, right? 
it, it, it keeps you headed towards your destination. And, and what happens if you get off, off track? It reroutes you back on, tra- tra- back on track. Back in the old days, we used to have to use a map for that and pay attention. That was a lot harder, folks. But having that shared meaning and purpose is like that for your relationships. You're more likely to work through your differences and less likely to get stuck on the same old issues over and over because you remember that we're in this together, right? We're, we're friends. We're partners. We're not frenemies. That's what it feels like sometimes. But we're friends and we're partners. Paul said it this way in Philippians chapter 2, verses 2 to 4. He says this. We have this admonition here. Make my joy complete by being of the same mind. That's shared meaning. Maintaining the same love. United in spirit. Intent on one purpose. Shared meaning. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. Now, this is what can follow. If we're, if we're sold on our, this is our, our meaning, this is our purpose, then we can more easily do this next part. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility consider one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Isn't that good? That's like a life verse for a couple, amen? So when we think about shared meaning, I want to, maybe, maybe you're starting to wonder, what, what is our sh- shared meaning? What's our, what's our purpose? So prayerfully, first of all, I mean, seek God for this. God has a pr- great purpose for you as an individual, as a parent, as a spouse. What is that purpose? Don't go to the world to find it, right? Don't let the serpent tell you who you should be. But go to God to say, who am I? He's already created you with a purpose. He knows. He's not trying to figure out, what am I going to do with Aaron? He's, God's, not trying to, I call it, yeah. God's not trying to figure that out. He knows, right? Before the earth was created, he knew. Amen? So let's go to him, let's return as an individual, as a couple, as a family, and let God define our direction. Consider these questions. What kind of relationship does God want for us? What roles do we serve in individually or as a couple? And how can I support my spouse in his or her role? How can I help him to be a better preacher? How can I help her to be a better teacher? Whatever those roles are, how can I be a friend and help? How can I? Uh, how can? How do you view your role as a wife, as a or a husband? How do you view being supportive? What's it look like to be a provider, a protector? What's it mean to be a parent? What kind of life has God called us to live as a couple? Because you're living that life out loud before everyone else. Jesus said in John thirteen thirty five. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. You're living your life out loud. And guess what else Jesus said? Love your neighbor as yourself. But we forget something. When you're married, who's your closest neighbor? 
your, your spouse. And there's a lot of verses in the Bible about marriage, but there's a whole lot more just about relationships in general, how we should be treating one another that still apply to marriage. Love your neighbor. Love your wife. Love your husband. Love your child as yourself. Got to preach. So God, help us to do that. So we want to create this an atmosphere in our relationships where you and your spouse can talk about your values, you can talk about your beliefs, your dreams, your questions, your doubts, your worries, your goals in a safe way where we're open to that, where we can have these types of conversations and support one another in them. Shared meaning. All right. Now the fun one. Everyone's favorite. Conflict. Y'all ready for that? Let's talk about conflict. I'm going to give you the easy answer, and then I'll give you the more complicated answer. Okay, the easy answer comes from my mom. I told her about my sermon today, and, and she told me their secret to a happy marriage. You guys want to, you want to hear it? You got your, get your notepads out. So she said, we decided when we first got married, this is my mom talking, that I would make all of the minor decisions. And Bob, my dad, he would make all the major decisions. So far, she says, after 47 years, there hasn't been a single major decision. There you go. Mic drop. Okay. We're done. That's it. That's the secret. So you could go that route. Um, it's worked pretty great for my parents. They love, they love a good joke. All right, and here's the more complicated answer. is We're going to go back to Adam and Eve. So, you know, Eve always gets a pretty bad rap, right? Because she ate of the apple first. Um, but where was Adam? Genesis chapter 3, what we already read, it says, So she took some of the fruit and ate it, and then she gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it too. Right? Guys, we're not off the, you know, we don't get off on this one. Um, Adam was there the whole time. He was watching this whole thing play out. Adam forgot, first of all, he forgot his shared meaning, too. He forgot the purpose God had played, uh, given him. You know, what if he had stepped up as a protector? What if he had stepped in to protect Eve from the serpent? What if he had protected as a supporter? And when she said, God told us not to eat of it, and, got, and, and, and Adam might have stepped up and said, Yeah, what's up now, serpent? You know, like, I got your back, Eve. He didn't do that. Where was Adam? Right? So he forgot his role as well. He lost sight of that. And, the, and there, what if he hadn't? So the consequences are huge. But also, I think something else was going on here. I think Adam was a little bit afraid of conflict. Because when Eve said, yeah, you're right. 
and you know, it says she was convinced and she took a hold of the fruit. Here's Adam watching it played out. He could have spoke up then too. He could have said, hey, whoa, 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 No, 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 no. Eve, don't do it. No, 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 no. Remember what God said? You know, he could have done that, but here's what I, here's Adam, okay? God made this beautiful woman, right? Never seen another one. He was just, you know, really taken by her, and rightly so. And things were going well, and then this weird situation happens. It's tense. And there's a serpent convincing us, trying to convince us to eat of this fruit that God said, don't eat of it. And, he, and Adam's like, man, I, I don't want to mess this thing up. You know, Eve really thinks a lot of me. You know, she thinks I'm cute. And, you know, like things are going well. And I don't want to ruffle any feathers here. And so he does nothing. And in fact, he, even worse, he joins in and partakes. He avoided conflict. So sometimes that seems like the right thing to do, right? It seems like the right thing to do at times. We think, I don't want to raise an issue. I don't want to share my opinion that might be different. I don't want to share what's on my heart. I don't want to share how I really feel about this, about what that person did or said. Hey, it doesn't just happen in our in relationships happens in the church too, right? Where we don't want to speak up. Hey, if I say something sideways that you take the wrong way, talk to me about it after church. I mean, don't corner me or anything, but, you know, do it the right way, but come and talk to me about it. Too often people get offended and they don't say anything about it and then it kind of builds up and then something else happens and then they're gone. You never see them again. They went to the church down the street. When really, we should say, Pastor, I didn't understand that. I kind of took it over the wrong, a weird way. Can you help me understand what you're saying there? You know, we, we, should be, we shouldn't be avoiding conflict like Adam did. So in, in his passivity, Adam didn't love Eve well. And he didn't honor God. So when not handled well, conflict really can be an avenue for hard feelings and for Satan to put a wedge between two people, okay? When it's not handled well. We can walk away with bitterness, with resentment, with frustration, or, or maybe if you win the argument, which by the way, in a marriage relationship is there any winning an argument because if one person is hurt from it but if you feel you won the argument you might walk away puffed up with ego pride or or contempt for the other person so conflict actually is not the enemy but conflict because conflict can be constructive and that's the goal i think a lot of times we avoid conflict simply because we don't really know how to handle it in a constructive way, in a mature way. Um, Conflict can actually bring you a better understanding of the other person. Think about a disagreement you had with your spouse or with a friend or a neighbor, whoever, and think about maybe hopefully one that went well. And when you walked away from that, you knew each other better. It's like, I, it'd be like, this is fake. I now know that James 
doesn't like it if I make jokes about his beard. You know, I know that about him now. He actually, I don't think he'd be offended by anything. But um, we learn about each other if we handle it well. So the goal of conflict is understanding. Conflict is not the enemy. So I want to share with you four destructive patterns in relationships that are toxic. They especially come up during conflict. And these are so toxic that relationship experts have named them the four horsemen of the apocalypse. That's what they call them. All right? Um, So I'm not going to present these in any certain order. They're not ranked necessarily. One of them is, but um, here's where it gets real. Let's talk about these four patterns. So number one is criticism. Criticism is verbally attacking the person's personality or character. Uh, It's blaming a relationship problem on their personality flaws. Um, It often sounds like this. You always dot, dot, dot. You never dot, dot, dot. So watch out for if you're starting it with you always, you never. Just watch out for that. And um, uh, criticism tends to make conflict escalate. Like, it just doesn't work, okay? Um, So the way to avoid criticism is by adopting Proverbs 15.1. And it says, A gentle answer deflects anger, but harsh words make tempers flare. So the solution or the antidote to criticism is to have a gentle startup. I want to start this conversation more gently. I want to approach them with respect, with love. It's not that we avoid it, that we don't address an issue or a behavior that needs to change, but it's that we address the behavior or the issue more specifically instead of insulting the person. All right? So we want to say, you want to say how you really feel. You want to be honest. You want to be real. But I, but I don't want to say what I don't like about you and blame it all on that person. Um, and I want to share what I need instead of, here's what I'm saying I need. So, for example, <clears throat> criticism might look like, why don't you ever take the trash out anymore? You, you never do this anymore. You're lazy. You're, you've been so lazy. Now, that's how the fight started, right? What, what's the other person going to do? Get defensive. So instead, being able to say, you know, you used to take the trash out a whole lot, and it was really helpful to me, and I could really use you to do that again. I'm, I've been getting frustrated about this. I really need your help with this. That's a little softer, all right? And it's a little more clear, a little more constructive. Now, you'll always have some complaints in your relationship. Nobody's perfect, right? Your spouse is bound to do something, <laughs> right? Um, so share those complaints constructively, sh- you know, share them honestly. Um, but constructively, and do it gently. And how you bring it up makes a world of difference. So the antidote to criticism, use a gentle start up to it, and describe 
the behavior issue specifically. Be clear about what you need instead. Okay, got it? It's solved. Problem solved. No more criticism in this house. All right, let's move on. I'm going to go through these kind of fast. Defensiveness is the next horseman, the next one of the four horsemen. And we want to look at Adam and Eve in this. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 3, verses 12 to 13. Now, here we are. God has... God has chased them down. Hey, guys, what's going on? Did you eat of the fruit of the garden? And what happens? Adam says, it, it was the woman you gave me who, who gave me the fruit, and I ate it. And then, you know, he's pointing at Eve, and the Lord God asks the woman, she says, what have you done? And she says, the serpent. The serpent deceived me, she replied, and that's why I ate it. So Adam blames God Essentially, the woman you gave her to me. Annie blames Eve. Doubly defensive. Eve blames the serpent. The servant. Serpent? Get this right in a minute. Eve blames the serpent. So they're throwing around blame. Essentially, that's, that's defensiveness in a nutshell. That was the first of the four horsemen ever seen on this earth with Adam and Eve. So defensiveness is victimizing yourself to ward off a perceived attack. And you reverse the blame. That's exactly what Adam and Eve did. It's denying any responsibility for the problem or counterattacking with some criticism to to bat it back. We've all been there. Let's just for a moment just, just recognize in ourselves, yeah, me too. We, we've all been in these, okay? We, we all do these. You know, you're going to be tempted right now to think about your spouse and how bad they are at doing these. <laughs> Try to think about yourself. We all, we all have done these. So the antidote for defensiveness is found in Proverbs 12, verse 1. Let's look at that. So much wisdom in God's Word, amen? If you love learning, you love the discipline that goes with it. How short-sighted to refuse correction. Now, your, your spouse isn't always going to bring up that complaint the right way. Sometimes it is going to feel like a criticism, but even then, I want to challenge us to have some grace for them, to see under the complaint, to see the underlying need, to, to realize the shared meaning. This is my friend. How do I want to respond to my friend? And respond with a more gentle answer. Take, and here's the antidote, essentially, to defensiveness. Take responsibility. Even if it's just for a small part of what your spouse is saying, if there's some little bit of truth in that, take responsibility for it. Start there. If you're going to split hairs, you figure that out later, but start with taking responsibility. That, that's the opposite of being defensive. And it is so hard, okay? But God's with you. All right, you can do it. So, you know, it makes me wonder, though, what if Adam and Eve had done this? What if they had taken responsibility? What if God had come to them and said, Did you, what happened here? And they said, man, I messed up. I don't know what I was thinking. I'm so sorry. I, I don't know. Like, what would God have done then? I mean, I'm sure there would have been some consequences, but it might have looked different. I mean, they would have been repentant instead of 
casting the blame. This is a big deal, folks. And it's toxic to your relationships. It was toxic to their relationship with God. It's just, it just doesn't work. So take responsibility. All right. Next, contempt. This is the big daddy of the four horsemen. It actually is kind of the most toxic of all of them. Contempt means combining criticism of your partner with a sense of superiority and disgust. It can come in the form of insults, put-downs, sarcasm, and mockery. Inevitably, contempt leads to more conflict, and it's more corrosive. It's the most corrosive to relationships. It erodes the love and the respect within that relationship. Essentially, a person who is showing contempt has no interest in resolving or managing a conflict well. They're really just, at that point, ready to break down their partner. Sadly enough, tests have shown that contempt actually breaks down the immune system of the receiving partner. And you can, you can guess or evaluate or uh, guesstimate how many illnesses that spouse is going to have in the coming year based on how many contemptuous statements they receive from their partner in any given 15 minutes. Okay, so it, it literally breaks you down as a person. So the book of Romans gives us this warning about contempt in chapter 14, verse 10. Paul writes, So why do you condemn another believer? Why do you look down on another believer? Remember, we, we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. Wow. I recall another verse that says that we will give account for any word spoken in vain. So the antidote to this is very important. It's to build a culture of respect and appreciation within your marriage. It's got to be a deep, deeper-seated sense of shared meaning, of mutual respect in the relationship. Like it says in Ephesians, submit to one another. So here's some ideas for this. Make a list of your spouse's best qualities. I know you got a list of the things they do wrong. <laughs> All right? Make a list of their best qualities. Keep a mental picture of them at their best because you know you're going to see them at their worst. Right? So make a mental picture of them at their best and recall that when they're at their worst. Right? We all have our moments and you're going to see them. Let them know what you appreciate and value. Make a habit of sharing that appreciation, of thanking them, of complimenting them, etc. We're building a culture here. When you see a negative trait in your spouse, see it in yourself too. Wait a minute. Do I do this too? Right? When you see something positive about yourself, see that. Try to see that in your spouse as well. And then when you're upset, when there's a conflict, be careful to describe yourself, your own feelings, your own thoughts, what you're, how you're seeing the problem. Don't describe your partner. 
Because that's where people, if they're really frustrated, really feeling disgust, if that comes out and you start to describe the other person and tell them how bad they are, tell them how wrong they are, that's where contempt can come out. So don't give the devil a foothold. Describe yourself, how you feel, how you see things, recognizing that you could be wrong. And of course, if this has happened in your marriage or in any relationship, take responsibility for it by apologizing for past contempt. Contempt. All right. Stonewalling, the fourth four horse or the, the fourth horseman. There you go. All right, so what is stonewalling? Essentially it's this. All right, you feel me? Hopefully it doesn't look too familiar. But stonewalling is essentially giving no response to your partner during a conflict. It's like, I'm not going to play this game. I'm not going to cooperate. I'm not going to work with you on this. That's stonewalling. It's withdrawing from your spouse during conflict, and it conveys disapproval, distance, and separation. It involves shutting down completely and refusing to offer any response to your partner. Now, I'm going to call us out, a gender out on this. Who do you all think does this more? You get, you're afraid to answer. Actually, men tend to do this more. Men tend to do this more. Um, and, and here's the reason why. Often what's going on there, if a person's shutting down, they are flooded emotionally. So what that means, it's a, it's a state of physiological arousal. I'm going to get technical with you all. Where um, your amygdala, it's part of your brain, is taking over. It's your fight or flight or freeze response. And it's supposed to protect us from danger, but it doesn't always work so great during conflict when we're trying to be constructive with our spouse. And so often that person's heart rate is going to be up over 100 beats per minute, and they are shutting down. And that's, that's what's usually going on there. Uh, so we find the antidote to this in James chapter 1, verse 19, where, where he says, Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, you must all be quick to listen slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Essentially, what needs to happen here is we need to take a break. And we don't just need to walk off and storm off without saying anything. We need to say, this isn't going anywhere. i got to take a break. I'm, I'm just too frustrated right now. And then you go and you stew about what you're going to say next, right? No. You, you separate and you calm yourself. You take a walk. You pray. You listen to your favorite praise song, whatever you need to do to chill out, to get in control of yourself, to calm yourself. Because here's the thing. When your amygdala takes over, you're not going to get anywhere. We're not going to get any work done here because I'm in flight or flight mode and we're past the point of being constructive. I need to calm down. And when you calm down, you come back to it, your brain shifts more into using your frontal cortex which is where logic and reason and organization, all these higher functions take place. And so there, at that place, is where we can now be constructive again. Okay, so guys and gals, 
if things tend to escalate, if you tend to shut down, take a break, calm yourself down. Jesus, take the wheel. Start singing some Carrie Underwood. Whatever you need to do to calm down. Punch a punching bag, take a walk, lift some weights. I don't know. You, you, you're going to have to figure it out. What's your thing? So guys, I want, I want to ask you to just imagine for a minute. I want, to, I want you to clo- invite you to close your eyes. And I want you to imagine your relationships as God intended it, especially your marriage, if you're married. I want you to imagine it with a deeper sense of purpose, with an atmosphere of love and respect, and with the ability to manage conflict in a healthy way that actually builds understanding instead of breaking each other down. I want to ask you, what needs to happen for you to get there? What's one thing that you can take with you today from this message and do differently in your relationships? One thing that maybe God has tugged on your heart today. Jesus, we thank you for the gift of marriage and relationships. The joy and the depth that it brings to our lives But God, as we've seen in us, we have much to work through. So today, we humble ourselves and we seek your Spirit working in us and through us. Help us to love one another. Help us to love one another in a more mature way, in a Christ-like way. And Lord, where there have been hurtful words, where there's been heartache, where there's been betrayal, where there's been emotional distance, help us to have the kind of conversations that bring healing. Because you're, you're in us and you're with us. So God, we unleash your healing power within our relationships today. Holy Spirit, you've said in Ecclesiastes that a cord of three strands is strong. So Holy Spirit, be with us and in us. Be woven through the fabric of our relationships. Forgive us for where we've done things our own way. Forgive us where we've done things the world's way. Father, help us to discard the messages of the world, the messages of the enemy that have caused bitterness, strife, jealousy, lust, pride, ego, And Father, may we come to one another more humbly, seeing each other as more important than even ourselves. For this is what you did, Jesus. When you came here, you saw us as more important than yourself, and you sacrificed. So God, may we develop these relationships according to your will in your plan. Church, right now, I just feel like there's, there's a place for healing today in your relationships. Whether it's a relationship with your spouse, with a parent, with a child, with a sibling, with a friend. Your relationships are important. God wants to use them to shape you, to mold you, and to support you. But we've got to let people in, the right people. And we've got to let God in. 
So today I just, I just feel this tug that we need to submit our relationships to God. Maybe there's some relationships that haven't been God-honoring and God-fearing. God can wipe that slate clean. God can move you from that. God can, can forgive you and cleanse you. Maybe there's relationships that just feel so full of strife and resentment and anger. God can heal you. God can give you the courage not to avoid conflict, but to have constructive conversations, things that need to be said and with love and with respect. So just hold those relationships up to God today. And God, we just ask you for healing. And we thank you for your divine power that we're not in this alone. And that you've put people in our lives to support us and to counsel us and to help us through these tough times. We love you, Lord, and we bless you. There is hope that you've given us and there is a future that you have in store for us. May we fulfill it. May we fulfill your plan by having a shared meaning and by managing conflict well in a godly way. In Jesus' name, amen.